Howdy tons of files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave at escapingthecave.com. Fuck Twitter. Hello there. Happy uh, Thursday. Thursday afternoon. I don't do too many <laughs> afternoon recordings. Good reason this week, though. Thursday, uh, February the 6th, 2020. I am uh, mentioning the date in a few of these. Pretty much for my own purposes. For posterity. People that may find these later on. I want to be like, wow, I wonder what it was like back then. There are not too many historic weeks, legitimately historic weeks, that that you look back upon and say, things may have changed this week. I think this week could be one of those weeks. As we look back on things, 5, 10, 15 years, this may be the week that I know this is going to sound melodramatic, and I'll lay all this out for you here as the show goes along, but this may be the week that the democracy, American democracy, actually imploded. We've been on this route and on this path for a really long time. It didn't just happen this week. I've been talking about this on the show for a really long time, where we're headed, the path that we have decided, collectively chosen to take, via this agitation shed, this may be the week where it finally just became inevitable. The institutions have crumbled. There's no way around this. I don't know how, what kind of a mental gymnast you have to be. You have to be a a cognitive Mary Lou Retton. I'm dating myself here. I'm trying to, how about Simone Biles? There you go. Is that her name, Biles? Hope I got that right. Excuse me, but you have to be engaging in some intellectual fuckery, in my not-so-humble opinion, to not think that we have started down this, it's like the first hill on a roller coaster. I intended to do a podcast. I had one more, maybe two more episodes on this independent thought, solitary man thing that I was talking about over the uh, last week or so. I was going to record this Monday night. Had it all ready. It's right there. I'm looking at it. Hi. I'm like, you know, I told myself self. That's what I call myself a self. I said self. I should wait until the end of the Iowa caucus. At You know, it's the first electoral event of the year. See what happens. See if we have an idea whether or not the woke flake crowd's going to sort of hijack the Democratic Party or if Joe Biden... <laughs> I'm so silly, aren't I? Or if Joe Biden's actually going to, you know, seize the hearts, the common sense hearts of the Iowans. Well, (laughs) what a clusterfuck. It's still not done. It's Thursday. The caucus took place on Monday. Doing some sort of common core math with the, the caucus this year, thanks to Bernie Sanders and his demands. And they could not get it right. And once I figured that out, I'm like, oh, boy. Something stinks here. Something something isn't right. I'm going to wait on this because looking forward from Monday, when you've got this happening out there in Iowa, and then Tuesday was the State of the Union, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know, imagine the rest of this week. The Iowa caucus where the resistance sort of basically puts on a Jerry Lewis skit for the first electoral contest of 2020. And then there was the chatter about the candidates. I mean, after, the, after there was a big snafu with the results and the candidates either threatening to challenge the validity of the caucus totals, that was Joe Biden with good reason. He finished fourth, apparently. <laughs> Mr. Frontrunner. 
And then there was uh, the threat from the, the Bernie Sanders campaign followed through upon to release their internal numbers to show that he actually probably won rather than waiting for the caucuses, uh, you know, the totals to come in, the delegate count to be released, the, the popular vote total to be confirmed and all that. No, Bernie decides, you know what, we'll do it. We got our numbers. Screw it. We'll just throw those out there. We win. Woo. And Pete Buttigieg. It goes on stage Monday night because his internal numbers say he wound up winning or at least came very, very close. So he declared either an actual literal victory or a huge moral victory for his campaign. Rightfully so. He did really well. As things sit right now, nothing's been officially released. And there's more to this. I'll get to this later on. But as things sit right now, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are in a virtual tie but it's not done yet. Tom Perez, DNC chairman, the National Committee chairman, finally, finally decides to do something this afternoon, or this morning, I guess, and has demanded a re-canvassing. And the IDC says, well, <laughs> you can't tell us what to do now. If we get a request from the campaign, then we'll do it. But until then, we're going to keep... <sighs> this is the opposition. This is the alternative to Donald fucking Trump. Is it? Is it? I ask you, is it? This week has been a colossal embarrassment. Each and every one of you ought to be, I don't care if you're a Republican, you should be ashamed of this. This has been for the Democrats hell week. I don't know that you could create, well, you probably could. I have a vivid imagination, but I won't bother to engage in those theatrics right now. But I don't know how you could create a much worse week than this one for the Democrats. For them as an opposition party in an election year against that. Good luck. So, yeah, Biden's talking about, you know, challenging the validity of the results. We think they could be tainted because I finished fourth. Bernie, you know, goes out and releases it. All of this stuff. Is that helping this whole coming together thing here? Is that going to treat the mistrust infection that we all have in the system at this point, especially Bernie Sanders supporters after 2016? Is all this going to fucking help somehow? No, absolutely not. That was just Monday. And then it got better because Donald Von Derp, Gets to go out and give a State of the Union infomercial on Tuesday. And then, of course, Wednesday, the always inevitable vindication spectacle as Donald Trump's acquitted in the Senate. Even Monday, even Monday night, it was clear to me. I've talked about institutional hospice, how democracy is in hospice. It's not just failing. It's throwing a tantrum. It's shitting itself. It's wiping the shit all over history's wall on its face and then sucking its finger. It's embarrassing. This is what happens when a representative constitutional democracy falls into virtual mob rule. It's exactly what this is. On both sides. I'm not pointing a finger in one direction or the other here. This is this belongs on both sides. There's enough more than enough blame to go around here. I think one of the things that really struck me on Monday was Bernie Sanders supporters. I go track the Twitter wildlife so you don't have to. I find the Twitter zoo to be fascinating. I do. It's the only reason I still pretty pretty much the only reason I still have my account open. 
is so I can go online and see what these idiots are doing. And on Monday, it was clear that once the irregularities and any inkling of any suspicion could possibly be justified, oh my God, the the Bernie bros took to Twitter. Bernie's getting screwed again. The DNC's Robert Mayor Pete paid for the app. He contributed to the app, which is true. Uh, Really? (laughs) You did? No. And the company's populated by former Clinton staffers. The fix is in. What are you doing? How can you have one of your candidates as a donor to the company that's creating the app? How can you have Clinton establishment staffers as part of the company? Perception is to some people. To many people, to a lot of people, I dare say most people now, because the trust level's fallen so far, perception is reality. Now, you can't have that. But yet you do. So Bernie's supporters just went batshit. They have images of 2016 Democrats screwing him in favor of Hillary. Right or wrong, whatever, he's an independent, he's a democratic socialist, he's not a democrat anyway. I understand that, I've talked about all that, but do you understand... Of course you do. You understand the optics. How do they not? How can you have this? How can you have... How can you not let DHS, Department of Homeland Security, offer to check the app in case it was going to be hacked or something like that? No, I don't know anything about that, says the Iowa Democratic Committee chairman. It's a clusterfuck. It's ineptitude. It is embarrassing, and it is downright shameful. And that's just Monday. Again, they kept saying for 12 hours, I think, at least before I went to bed anyhow, that, oh, the data's intact, it's accurate. They kept saying it matches, it's bad code, yada, 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 yada. So, if you're able to, and as you're implying, have, because if, if you haven't, how do you know it's accurate? You're implying that you've cross-referenced it already. Why wasn't it being released? Something was off. And we found out what that was today. The numbers didn't match. The New York Times had a, had a story today that there were inconsistencies. The numbers did not add up. They didn't claim that there was anything malicious going on. It doesn't matter. And so, yeah, Tom Perez decides, fuck it, today, yeah, you're going to re-canvas all of this and you're going to reconcile these numbers. But the lack of transparency, it was clear on Monday. It already stunk enough to sufficiently taint the entire caucus in the eyes of an already cynical and skeptical electorate. Hey, Mr. Biden, why do you want to challenge the validity of the vote count? Well, I know you're in fourth place. Is that a good idea to put that seed of doubt in people's minds already on the first, first primary election this year? Is that a good idea? And again, all the stuff that they were telling us Monday night turned out to be none of it was factually accurate. I just mentioned by today, the New York Times reported the data irregularities and inconsistencies. (laughs) And that was during this morning's uh, acquittal victory lap. Anyway, I digress. So as of right now, as far as Iowa goes, we know nothing concrete beyond Mayor Peter Bernie and Bernie out of Elizabeth Warren and Dementia Joe. He finished fourth. Now, also... I think also on Monday, 
A new poll came out. I'm sure you've heard all about this by now. That was a Gallup poll that was taken during the Senate trial. Donald Trump's approval ratings are at an all-time high. 49%, which for him is astronomical. He's been hovering right around 40 most of his, uh, his, his term. Sometimes lower, sometimes a bit higher, but right around 40. He's almost to 50% now as a result of the impeachment. I got a little curious, so I went out, went on the interwebs and found this. Uh, by way of context, Barack Obama, at the same time, during his first term, which would have been February 2012, Obama was at 45%. Trump has eclipsed Obama's first term popularity rate at the same point prior to his uh, re-election. 49 for Trump, 45 for Obama. Mr. Obama went on to win relatively easily against another guy in the news this week that I'll get to in a little bit, Mitt Romney. And Obama didn't even have to worry about Republican ineptitude to help him. Anyway, 49% right now taken during the trial itself, and Trump is also up 10 points since October Right about the time that this uh, impeachment process started, he's up 10 points. <sighs> Remember? Remember Tlaib? We're going to impeach the motherfucker. Pelosi should have listened. Should have listened to her instincts. Instead of coddling the screaming far-left infants. She knew better than this. She knew this was going to happen. She knew that an acquittal was inevitable. Of course, it's easy with hindsight. I didn't know really what she should do back in October or November, but I did know this, and it's back there. You can go listen to those podcasts. It was clear as day that this is exactly how it was going to turn out with an acquittal. When Donald Trump is hatched for his second term, this is the Woke Flakes baby. Now let's talk about Tuesday, huh? The State of the Union and the rips heard around the world. I caught some of the speech live uh, between naps. I was on the couch, in and out, a little bit. And what I did see, and notated actually, was that Pelosi, even before the ripping incident, the great rip, she was spastically fidgeting around and flashing all these knowing little glances at the Democrats. And of course, for the camera's benefit. And she reminded me of a heckler at a comedy club who'd been warned to shut the fuck up for the last time before they got bounced. Could not sit still. Who exactly was this performance staged for? I mean, how many Woken resistors were actually able to sit there and endure the tribal disgust long enough to watch Trump's State of the Union? How many Woke Flakes do you suppose were actually sitting there watching this? If you're a liberal, a Democrat, hate Trump, did you? Could you actually sit through it? Before the revulsion pushed you off to watch MSNBC? Well, it was probably on MSNBC. I don't know, maybe watch Netflix. How many, how many Woken resistors were there watching this? Who was she performing for? My comparison, though, how many of her friends, do you suppose, instead decided to wait for the echo chamber's interpretive nourishment? I'll just find out what happened later. I've done that. I can't quantify it. There's no way that I can, but I guarantee you. I promise you, the live audience was overwhelmingly independent and conservative. There weren't a lot of Democrats watching that speech. It's just not how it goes these days. People typically do not watch the opposition media anymore. 
And of course, the speech began by her failing to introduce him properly, violating decorum. And then, uh, and then Trump comes up, takes uh, the stage, the, the podium, whatever, hands Pence the speech, hands her the speech, begins to turn around, and Nancy extends her hand like, oh, I'm going to shake your hand. We're always reaching out, she said in a tweet later on with an image of that. And Trump either didn't see it or uh, snubbed her. I couldn't tell which. It's, it's possible he didn't see her. It is within the realm of possibility, but yeah, I think he probably snubbed her. And oh my God, he left her hanging. Outrage, outrage, outrage. Trump leaving her hand hanging there didn't hurt Trump at all. Not a bit. No one hates him anymore as a result of that. But however it happened, for whatever reason, the optics of it absolutely appealed to his base, and I dare say it appealed to more than a few independents who see this whole impeachment thing as a transparent political game. His numbers among independents are rising as well. People who, who claim not to have a political affiliation view him more positively as a result of this impeachment than they did before. Probably in a, net, a net effect of seeing the Democrats more negatively and therefore edging toward Trump as a result of it. I cannot say, with any honesty, that this impeachment has not had some of that effect on me. Now, on the other hand, her little paper-killing tantrum has been played on loop on conservative media all week long. It's going to be recycled the same way Hillary's deplorable comment was in 2016, and this is going to backdraft I promise you, it's going to backdraft on whomever the nominee is as well. It did no favors to the Democrats. It didn't help anything as far as defeating Donald Trump in November. Also, in the larger context of the State of the Union address, it's worth noting that Van Jones of CNN fame, I watched this. I flipped over there to see what they were talking about. The man was almost terrified of the electoral future after Trump's performance on Tuesday, and with good reason. He said that Trump's overtures to black voters may draw blacks over towards him a little bit, that the black vote should not be taken for granted. Criminal justice reform and attempts to at least acknowledge black issues will have, according to Van Jones, could work at least a little bit, and he doesn't need much. At all, especially in this state, in Michigan, oh, I think it was 10,000 votes back in 2016. It's not a given that he's going to lose any of these states. His path to the Electoral College is pretty clear right now. You don't have a lot of leeway, Democrats, if you haven't noticed. And Van Jones saw that, and he was terrified. He's like, "This, you need to pay attention to this, y'all, because this could work. And it occurred to me that Trump... He reminds me of the F5 tornado in Twister. You remember that movie back in the 90s? And they're chasing the tornadoes. I don't know if it was an F5 or not, but they're, the storm chases are all out in these fields, right? I guess Oklahoma cornfields and the, the really arrogant guy in his fancy-ass truck is driving along. And, and uh, what's-her-face, uh, Helen Hunt, is in the truck back there. And he's like, if that, if that tornado, sh it's going to get you. You need to, you need to get out of there. Ha, 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 we got it. Trump reminds me of that tornado. If it shifts to the left just a little bit, just a little bit, as he seemed to indicate that he may in his appeal to blacks during the speech, 
He's going to consume you, my pretty. Listen closely. Trump does not need you. You need to poach from his flock. He's the incumbent. Pelosi did no one any favors. With that ripping display the other day, beyond moistening a few fanatical panties. That's it. And also in the speech, he gave Rush Limbaugh the highest civilian honor a president can give. That freaked people out. Oh my God, AOC went nuts. I've seen people over the last couple of days claim that uh, his emotional reaction, Limbaugh's, was contrived. He was acting. Just part of the show. Welcome to the show. Rush Limbaugh was diagnosed with advanced lung cancer about two weeks ago. I know it's fashionable to actively cheer someone's death because of their unsavory politics, but I personally am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he may have actually been emotionally affected by that. And I've seen that general comment about Limbaugh at least 20 times on my little trips around the social media zoo. The self-dehumanization of spitting on a walking corpse is mind-boggling to me, and again... It doesn't help anything. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you've gotten your vengeance, I guess, on Limbaugh's career. But it doesn't help. It doesn't help you poach that flock. All week, there's been criticisms of the -the over-the-top theatrics. Uh, Pelosi's amplified those all day today. The problem with that is that these propagandistic displays, they're par for the course for the State of the Union. They have been since, what, Reagan? It's par for the infomercial course. I have an old syndicated audio piece that I produced 18 years years ago, 18 years ago, where I used a clip of uh, George W. exploiting Todd Beamer. Remember Todd Beamer? Let's roll fame. W. exploited his wife in the 2002 State of the Union speech. Check it out. The courage of passengers aboard United 93, 93, who may well have fought with the hijackers and saved many lives on the ground. Passengers like an exceptional man named Todd Beamer. Would you please help me welcome his wife, Lisa Beamer, here tonight. The entire world has seen for itself the state of our union, and it it is strong. I mean, what do you expect Mr. Reality Show to do? Do you expect him to forego tradition and not be reality show man at his state of the union? Or are these criticisms just people grasping onto whatever they can find to complain about? Yes, I agree. It's contrived drama. Much of the State of the Union address was. But the thing is, is that people only seem to complain about it when the other guy does it. Obama's done this, Bush has done it, Clinton did it. I'm sure Daddy Bush did it. I know Reagan did it. These complaints are as disingenuous and inauthentic as the theatrics themselves were. Personally, I tried to stay detached. I watched the State of the Union sort of as a research project. That was how I was trying to keep my mindset anyway. It's much easier to stomach when you're attempting to be clinically detached. I can tell you that much. And one other thing to think about in the context of what's turned out to be this Democrat uh, self-destructive hell week is that the State of the Union came on the heels of this Iowa clusterfuck of retardation on Monday, and it came the day before Trump's uh, impeachment acquittal. And then Thursday, today's day of vindication, he went on a little tour this morning at around noon. He gave, what, almost, was it an hour? <laughs> sort of a, <laughs> a rambling stream of consciousness statement at around noon today. This has been a terrible week for the resistance. All of this, the totality of it, has served as an incredibly effective contrast of choice and not in a good way for Democrats. 
How many people have I heard say, you want to take over health care and you can't run a caucus? Yeah. How do you answer that? If the shoe were on the other foot, pardon the cliche, you'd be saying the exact same thing and you'd be right then too. You don't know who you are and you do not know what you're doing. The contrast of choice is clear to a lot of people, a lot more clear now on Thursday than maybe Sunday night. I've heard people repeatedly say people aren't going to remember, people aren't going to remember the Iowa fiasco come election time. Are you, are you sure about that? There may be just be a standard shift in perspective, in perception of the Democratic Party as a whole, where you don't have to remember and have the specifics of Monday top of mind. You can just decide, yeah, they suck, I'm voting for Trump, and, and check out. To think that can't happen or hasn't happened already with a lot of people is foolish. you got to remember this as well, that part of the woke flake narrative, part of the Democrat narrative, ever since he got into the race before 2016, is that Trump is the stupid, unqualified one. It doesn't look that way this week. Trump doesn't look like the dumb one right now. Yeah, he, he said Kansas City, Kansas last week. Okay, well, he didn't uh, boner an entire caucus. Look, that's just a sense I have. Again, I can't quantify it, but I would love, absolutely love to see some polling data that's taken maybe tomorrow. I'd love to see somebody go out and poll 5,000 people to see what happened this week. So anyway, that was the State of the Union. On Wednesday, uh, February 5th, 2020, for you posterity folks, we finally got the inevitable impeachment acquittal. This was always going to happen. Everybody knew it was going to happen. All the investigations, all the theatrics of their own. We all knew this day was coming. And it came two days after Iowa, it came the day after the State of the Union, a very effective State of the Union, I might add, uh, as far as Republicans and his base is concerned. It's who it was intended for. It wasn't intended for the woke flake crowd anyway. And the people that follow him, the people that like him, the people that will vote for him, loved it. So you've got this comparison. I'm sorry, I know I'm, re- I'm regressing a little bit back to the State of the Union, but you've got this very, very effective, entertaining, sort of a reality show vibe of a State of the Union speech that people adored. I don't know how many people I heard say that they loved hearing good things about their country. And then you've got that coming on the heels... <laughs> of the alternative's ineptitude on Monday. (laughs) You've got to poach those people. How are you going to do that? I'm going to do it that way. And then, the big enchilada on Wednesday, the acquittal. The vote was completely down party lines on both articles, except for Mitt Romney. Utah Senator across the party, Rubicon, voted guilty on abuse of power. One article he uh, voted to acquit on the second. I've been picking on Democrats a lot this show. Well, the Republican mob immediately pounced, calling him a traitor, a coward, worse. Even a ridiculous recall Romney, a movement that started on, where else, Twitter. Completely asinine and proved Gustav Lebon right His point that mobs are fucking stupid. They are. Senators cannot be recalled. Have you ever really thought about that? Now think about it. Have you ever heard of a senator being recalled? No. We have a word for removing a senator. Maybe it'll sound familiar to you. You ready for it? 
impeachment. <laughs> That's how you quote unquote recall a senator the same as the same way as a president or vote him out of office. Don't let that stand in the way of the Puritan mob demanding their slice of instant and on-demand political gratification, political lynching, if you will, and you just did, and that whole throw-him-out-of-the-party loyalist purity test that the uh, frothing Republican mob is tarring Romney with this week. Uh, lap it up, Democrats. Enjoy it while you can, because that is your future as well. Sooner than you think. I said last night that you can call Mitt Romney a lot of things this week. Coward is not one of them. He has entered the pit of hell that he knew was coming the minute he decided to vote to convict Donald Trump in that trial. You call it what you like. Personally, futile is the word that came to mind for me. It's just me. However you look at it, though, however you slice it, it is not cowardice. A conservative friend of mine said that there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. Maybe. But I replied that people used to have at least a grudging respect. For men who stuck to their conscience and principles rather than cowering in fear of the mob. People used to make movies about that stuff. What happened to those people? Where are you now? Well, conveniently, they're all Democrats, barely, this week. I mean, Mitt Romney literally gained nothing by this. Nothing. Where is it? What did he gain other than the, the little pat on the head from some liberals? There seems to be this general disconnect. When respecting someone sticking by the principles becomes ideologically inconvenient. Can't do that. I asked my friend if conformist loyalty to party has supplanted independence and individuality as a primary American principle. He didn't answer me. (laughs) Say it ain't so. Then, as I mentioned just a minute ago, to show the contrast of perceptions, a liberal friend suddenly became a mitmirer, even commending his religious faith. He said his faith is his conscience. This is my friend. This is a quote from my friend. He says his faith is his conscience. If in the end he has to answer to his God, he made the only decision he could make. Nonetheless, a brave decision. He's about to enter Twitter maelstrom. Yeah, it's true. But it's really odd how it's apparently only perceived as courageous when it fits the sectarian's adopted narrative. Imagine if it were the other way around and a Democrat threw himself into McConnell's maelstrom by breaking ranks and voting to acquit. Imagine a Democrat did that. Then the Howells would be on the other side of the aisle, wouldn't they? Of course they would. Would Democrats be praising this mutant's courage as they are mitts? Would this fictitious Democrat's faith also be an admirable compass? Hmm. Interesting to think about. Or would the situation just, you know, be wearing opposite hats? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, If I know your sect, I anticipate your argument. In that same essay, self-reliance, it's what he meant by their two is never two, their four is never four. My buddy counted with West Virginia's uh, mansion. I forget the guy's first name. Joe? Joe Mansion, yeah. He said that Joe Manchin, voting to acquit, would have been courageous as well if he believed the president to be innocent. Convincing the throng of his beliefs would have been a hard sell, though. And my friend, he's absolutely right about that. (laughs) Absolutely right. And that's the thing, isn't it? Accountability to the pitchforked mob, the drunk constituency. And that's where it's at. We're right back to what I've been saying for a year. It's the people. That right there brings it home. 
the throngs are, or rather, quote-unquote, should be, irrelevant to a jury. And I think it's interesting to point out, though, that all of these, quote-unquote, profiles and courage, you know, Romney, Justin Amash up the road from here, Joe Manchin, and yeah, I'm going to throw Joe Manchin in there because he voted along party lines, but he's in a Trump district. He had to make a choice between party and getting reelected. He was in a tight spot there. And he chose to vote to convict. Now he has to go back and face the West Virginia constituency. Anyway, all three of these who chose to act on something directly opposed to their own short-term self-interest. All three of these people that I mentioned, Romney, Amash, and Manchin, they all fall on the same side of this question. It's interesting, isn't it? They all voted to convict. The people who were willing to suffer for their choice to do something against their own short-term interest all voted to convict Donald Trump. I'm not making any judgments here. I find that very interesting. Now again, maybe that says something. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But despite what spin of choice we've chosen to dine upon, none of us really know anything. And bilateral trust is eroded to the point where even if we did know, half the country won't accept or believe it. So my question to you is, what does it matter? Shoulds aside, talking points aside, what does it matter? Right? Well, the rule of law has significantly eroded this week. And aside from the entranced chants emanating from woke flakistan, justice, in quotes, is now just a word in the dictionary. Sure, it was never an external thing to begin with, but people at least tried to believe in it. Now it's ancient American mythology. The means have suffocated the ends, stumped its body in the woods. And all that matters moving forward are those means. What men are willing or can be provoked to do. And soon enough, that might begin to horrify you. That's what happens when your sense of justice, your adherence to the rule of law, is determined by your tribe. I think a couple of weeks ago I teased a, a mini-review that I have of Matt Taibbi's Hate Incorporated. I haven't quite finished it yet, but it's excellent. And eventually I'm going to get to that review here on the show, but one part early in his book talks about how agitation media has turned our political process into something akin to what he calls Hitler versus Hitler. Two Hitler references right there. <laughs> what that boils down to is your righteous crusade against their evil. Something I've talked about on this show quite a bit. And if that's indeed where we're at, what do rules matter if, you know, rather than having ideological spats, you literally think you're in a war against evil? Don't the rules go out the window? If you're battling Satan or Hitler? We lurched a long ways in that direction this week. We did. And you know what? It's only February 6th. Now, maybe you think I'm being a little dramatic. Maybe. But I've been looking for this clip, and I can't find it anywhere. But it's one of Howard Dean, who was on CNN's failed abortion of a morning show yesterday. And uh, he said that if he lost, Donald Trump would claim the election was stolen and challenge the results. Right? Bill Maher's talked a lot about that. Not really news there. Uh, Trump laid the foundation for that back in 2016. But what was noteworthy, at least to me, was that Howard Dean came flat out and said it explicitly without contextual disclaimers that if Donald Trump wins in November, 
the Democrats are going to do the same thing. Yeah. Why? Because according to him, quote, they always cheat. Talking about the Republicans. So now if Donald Trump wins the election, the Democrats are basically going to emulate Trump. And if Donald Trump wins, he's obviously going to challenge the results and claim the election was fixed. There is no trust anymore. I mean, you can already see it in the undercurrent of mistrust swirling around the Iowa caucus. And this is just like any system of justice. There's no democracy in the history of the world that could function as such when compromise was heresy and no one believed and accepted an outcome they didn't want or demand. How do you run a democracy that way? You don't. It's impossible, literally impossible to do that. This goes back to something I was talking about last year. Can I allow myself to believe this? It's a thing from Jonathan Haidt. It's a standard of what you're willing to believe. If you can tell yourself, yes, I can allow myself to believe this bullshit, you will believe the bullshit. And that standard falls in conjunction with trust. As we've seen for three years, objective proof has become irrelevant to both the believer and the non-believer. Information is only perceived as factual if it supports our scripture, our narrative. In fact, information that agrees with our worldview is always perceived as factual, regardless of its veracity, while anything challenging. Our preferred narratives are always rejected out of hand. That's where we are. Don't be offended. Don't get this little shocked look on your face. I see this everywhere repeatedly. It's become a rarity to see anybody accept anything running against the congregational scripture. How often do you see that in your life? How often do you engage in it yourself? Two things here. Contagions of both blind fanaticism and reflexive sectarian doubt agitating the herds. I'm going to say that again. Contagions of both blind fanaticism and reflexive sectarian doubt agitating the herds. That's factor number one. Factor number two, revenue-chasing carnival barkers, posing as journalists, pundits, naked influencers, prodding these flocks, these herds, into happily abandoning any tentative connection to objective and external truth. These two things are more than enough to set the explosives that will implode a democracy. Way more than enough. The stuff reminds me of the Salem witch trials. And honestly, this was the corrosive brilliance of the 2016 disinformation campaigns. And I think it's going to be the ultimate long-term legacy of both social media and the for-profit boutique and agitation media model. MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. Social media echo chambers. Alex Jones, whatever. Boutique and agitation media. Mentioned the Salem witch trial. It kind of sounds like this. It's like, hey. Look, over there, it's a witch. It floats. Oh, it's an abomination against God. Burn him. Burn him. Sorry I don't do voice acting. Although I did have a relative who was accused of being a witch in Salem. It's true, he had to escape. He had to run down to Boston. (laughs) But that's what it reminds me of. This agitation media is in your ear like, hey, psst. There's a witch over there. 
And you're like, huh? oh my God, evil. Exactly. No, no, it's exactly like that, but that's sure as hell what it reminds me of. But there is a difference here. And the difference is that your witches, the ones you consider witches and evil and abominations in the eyes of God, just as strongly believe that you are their heretical abomination that needs to be exterminated. Hitler versus Hitler, witch versus witch. Now playing in an echo chamber near you. I said earlier that I decided to delay this episode because it quickly became obvious with Iowa's boner that this week was going to be an epic, historic comedy of woke flake errors. And because the herd mentality on full display this week contrasted brilliantly against what I've been talking about, the solitary man and independent thought, the herd mentality, full display this week. I was really Really looking forward to Trump's vindication statement today. The noontime thing that he had at the White House. Honestly, though, I felt like he held back. <laughs> I was disappointed with it. Uh, but after this week and the self-imposed damage Democrats inflicted upon themselves with both the Iowa clusterfuck, Pelosi's uh, State of the Union tantrum, and then the inevitable impeachment outcome, not to mention Trump's equally expected and corresponding poll bounce. This was a terrible week, man. Democrats did it to themselves. It was bad enough, maybe. And maybe the Republicans just thought it was best to let the talking heads take care of it and let Hell Week speak for itself. Either way, he seemed to me to be uncharacteristically... I mean, he wasn't exactly nice. But uncharacteristically generous today, considering the circumstances. And on the other hand, I'll reiterate this as well. It's impossible to spin any of this week positively toward the resistance. But that hasn't stopped CNN, New York Times, from trying. You should see the New York Times page today. They're not even pretending to be a news organization. They are a resistance outlet. And to top everything off, the Democrats have decided, they've already announced this, they've decided to triple down on the investigations. The investigations aren't over. They're going to keep going, proving that they haven't learned their lesson. They haven't picked up on the fact that most of the country, the part that's not feeding Daenerys Ocasio-Cortez's dragon, is sick of this. Sick of these show investigations. And again, they've already announced that they're going to continue. That means we get more Pelosi. We get more of Adam Schiff and his creepy-ass eyes. And who else? I'm going to leave you with this. Definitely bookmark this week in your mind. This is only the beginning, but it's sort of the starting gun of the decline, I think. It'll never happen, but I wish at some point that ideologies would be declared religions. Officially declared religions. Uh, I have some episodes back there from last year. One has uh, the religious mind in the title. That's where Jacques Ellul talks about propaganda and the religious mind. Recommend going back and listening to that. I've also got the ideological religions episode. One of my very first episodes from two years ago. Actually, almost two years ago exactly. Podcast is two years old. I mean, I took more than a year off. But I started this podcast right around the time of uh, Trump's State of the Union address back in 2018. Ideological religions was one of the first topics, one of the very first topics I was chomping at the bit to get at. 
and the uh, the one with the religious mind of the title from Jacques Ellul, uh from last year further delves into that that idea hunts. Anyway, the herd mentality, competing mobs of self-delusion, masturbating in a vacuum of institutional and political trust. That's where we are. And that coincides with institutional failure, loss of trust, maybe even betrayal. Maybe institutional betrayal, political betrayal, betraying principles in the name of getting reelected, keeping your job, appeasing the mob. All part of it. And it's predictable. And in the final analysis, it's pretty simple, really, despite all the slogans and the fallacious and fallacious rhetoric. Think about that. It'll come to you. We are not collectively interested in democracy. Collectively, we want to impose our version of puritanical totalitarianism on them. On the Auslander, on the other guy, we want to impose our beliefs upon them, and we want to just call it a democracy. It is totalitarianism. It's not exactly unprecedented, all this, you know. Of course you know. You're tonsillophiles. Brilliant creatures you are. What was that about... Uh, people get the uh, type of government they deserve? I've never engaged in giving you sausage party hope. I've never lied to you to keep you here. I've never endeavored to make you feel good so you'll continue to download my material. Never asked you for money. I have no reason to lie to you. Unlike a lot of people. The course we are on, my friends, it's dire. And I'm afraid that with this election, with what happened this week and where we're headed this fall, with the lack of trust, the lack of belief in the electoral process, lack of faith in it, I think we spread the, sped the process up quite a bit last week. EscapingTheCave.com, that's the website. Fuck Twitter, that's my handle. No, not really, just fuck Twitter. Get back to the Solitary Man Independent Thought thing next time. Till then, so long.